Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan. And here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, glue ear and its impact on speech development in children. Our guest is Wellington speech and language therapist Christian Wright. Glue ear is the build-up of sticky fluid in the middle ear, which can cause hearing loss. It's estimated that 80% of children will have one episode of glue ear by the time they're 10 years old. For children with repeated episodes, a ventilation tube or grommet can be inserted during surgery. The latest figures on publicly funded grommet surgery are for 2014-2015, when nearly 5,500 operations were performed on children up to 14 years of age. Christian, good morning. Good morning. Is it one of those areas where there's probably more demand than there is services available in a timely way? I wouldn't be able to comment. I don't know. Um, I get mixed messages from parents because many go privately now to get that. If they can. If they can, yeah. Um, and that's not cheap. Yeah. So, um, but certainly um, I can only speak about Wellington and it's not an official opinion, but some of the families I'm working with are getting in publicly relatively quickly. Yeah. But I think it would vary around the country because yeah. it's such a frequent operation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as you said, 80% by the age of 10 of people have experienced it. It usually tends to peak at around 5. That's the, the peak incidence for it. Um, but it is something that's very common, particularly in the preschool and early school age years. What causes um, it? Um, well, it's a good question. I think to understand its cause, it's good to understand the structure of the ear. So um, the easiest way is if you get your finger and stick it in your ear, although audiologists say there's nothing bigger than your elbow should go in your ear. But, Come um, on, we've all done it. I know, that's exactly right. I caught my child the other night with some sort of cotton tip shoving it into his eardrum. Anyway, um, any, yeah, luckily it didn't come out with blood. But um, So basically you push your finger and you go through the outer ear, go down the ear canal, and then you reach the eardrum. So don't go that far because that's going to hurt you. Um, but the eardrum. And then so the eardrum um, separates the outer ear from the middle ear. So the middle ear is an air cavity or a space where actually the tiniest bones in the human body exist. There's three of them, um, malleus, incus, and stapes. And they are, their, their, their job is that as the eardrum resonates, as sound travels down the ear, the eardrum vibrates like a drumhead. And then the vibration travels across these tiny bones in this air space. And then they attach to um, essentially what becomes the inner ear, which is where the cochlea sits. And that basically looks like a a spiral shell, and it has tiny thousands, 50,000 hair cells in there, I think it is. They pick it up, convert it to an, an, um, uh, an electronic impulse, and they send it up the auditory nerve to the brain. To the brain. And the temporal lobe of the brain interprets it, turns it into sound, sound that you recognise. That inner ear is precious for so many things. It's also got balance controls in there. Correct, well, the vestibular yeah. systems and in there too. And that's the little hairs again that are sort of helping. Um, yeah, there's it's some fluid semicircular, that's right, the endolymph, mm. which is the semicircular canals. It sits mm. in there, mm. and um, that slot 
sloshes around and it gives you the sense of like being up level. or down. Yeah, mm. it was really interesting last weekend when they, um, Kim was interviewing the space, the guy from space, talking about how ill he oh, becomes when yes. you come back from space because the endolymph isn't sloshing around typically because yes. there's zero gravity. Yeah. Anyway, off the topic, but um, the point is, is that gluia is, as you said, that middle ear, that air cave, mm. becomes filled with sticky fluid that essentially covers over those little bones so the conduction of the sound as it reaches the eardrum the vibration is reduced across the bones it's so like being underwater when your ears get blocked underwater and you can hear things but they're not clear yeah, yeah. often people comment that's that, what it's like is that like fluid coming from though why is it so often children as well is it something typical? um it is so what happens is the middle ear does produce fluid mm. But it drains, and the thing that's so important is one tiny tube called the eustachian tube. Right. So that connects your middle ear to the back of your throat. And so the idea is that the eustachian tube um, in, uh, is supposed to drain the fluid, but also it maintains air pressure so that the pressure in the middle ear and the outer ear is the same, mm. which is why when you go up and down, as you know, you get that sensation of pressure in your ear, and then you do the block-your-nose job. Yeah. And um, you're equalising. That's the, what you're the doing. The eustachian tube releases mm. a bit of pressure. Mm. So, um, but so what causes it actually is, it's not that there's necessarily um, fluid in there. Um, it's that there's always fluid draining out, mm. but the eustachian tube gets blocked, right. and that gets blocked as a result of um, ear and um, sorry colds, allergies. Um, swollen tonsillitis so um, that age when you're vulnerable to everything because you're coming across it the first time it's that kind of it is frequency that tends to it is but it's also a structural problem it's a right. funny design because in children preschoolers and school age children the um, eustachian tube is very flat and it's very narrow so it's very prone to blockage but as you go through your teenage years and you become an adult, it becomes more vertical as the anatomical structures shift and it gets wider. So it just becomes more effective at draining it. So it seems to be a structural issue that you think the time when you need your hearing the most, when you're learning speech and language, it's at its most vulnerable. Well, this is why it's so important in some ways, isn't it? Because right at those early stages of learning and yeah. communication, if there's a problem here, it can have it can have a real impact. Who, it can. Who, who's at greatest risk? Put it that well, way. Well, yeah, greatest risk would be the children who are obviously are getting a lot of colds and have allergy issues, but also children who live in smoky environments. So we we what we do know, and the research is pretty conclusive now that. Passive smoking can lead to um, gluia and that children who do get gluia in an environment where they're exposed to passive smoke, for the time that that passive smoking continues, the gluia persists. So there's a very strong link between the two. What we think, we don't really know why, what we guess is that when you breathe in, because air, you think about air going in your mouth straight down to your lungs, it doesn't. It spills into your, sta into your eustachian tubes and it travels up into that middle ear. So... Um, with children in those environments, the smoke irritates the lining, this is what we think, of the eustachian tube, and that causes it to become inflamed, swell, block, and then, of course, the fluid can't drain. If not recognised or not dealt with, what is the impact on speech and language development? Well, this is interesting too, because the research shows um, in the majority of children who experience it and it's treated, the long-term impact is negligible to none. Um, I think that the impact is better looked at as being some factors. So, for example, the frequency and the severity and the duration. So how often is, is, is the child sick? 
and have they got essentially gluea from a first illness that then, because it takes anywhere from 2 to 12 weeks for that fluid to drain because it's thick. So it can take a really long time. So they get sick. Six weeks in, they've recovered from the first illness, still have gluea, get sick again. Um, eustachian tube becomes blocked, more fluid. So it's almost fluid upon fluid, it stacks up. So the duration starts to push out. So that becomes a significant factor. Also, it's important when it occurs in the developmental process. So, for example, a 12-month-old who gets it versus a 4-year-old who's already acquired their speech and language effectively, um, they're going to have very different impacts. And then lastly, about whether the child's speech and language is typically developing in the first place. If you have a 2-year-old who has, say, for example, um, less than 50 words at the age of 2, they may already be termed a late talker, and then they get this on top of it. So now... um, the the input, the the quality of the language going in is degraded, so they're getting even um, less opportunity to interpret. Often the symptoms for parents to be looking for would be pain, obviously, um, children pulling at their ear. But, uh, and in really bad cases, the, the eardrum perforates and you get the discharge, all the stuff starts coming out, it's really yuck and it stinks. Um, but there are many cases, my own son, one of my children, had silent ear infections, so no indication of pain just um, a significant increase in the what response. Um, turning As in up, he couldn't hear what you'd said. Yeah, and he started to, um, he wanted to sit closer to, for example, if he's listening to something on the stereo. But like short-sighted kids. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Closer start, to the screen. That's right. How old was he approximately, if you don't mind? Oh, he, he was, was about four. He was, yeah, yeah. And so his speech and language actually was a little slower, although he's very typical now, but... Um, uh, certainly you start to see all these signs. Mm. Um, some of the other signs would be that they start having trouble following instructions. So particularly in our two and three-year-olds who have repeated gluia, it feels like they're ignoring you. But actually they might not be because they just might not be hearing you because you're used to them hearing you, you just immediately go to, that's bad behaviour um, because there's been a sudden shift and you can't see any change on the outside. So those silent ear infections are a problem. What about not very vocal is another case I can think of um, because I recall how much uh, this um, toddler, a little bit older, changed mm. after the Grumman operation. Went from We just thought it was the silent type, you know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden brrr, yeah. it's unleashed. Um, can that be another sign? Just not very talkative yes, because it's absolutely. too hard to do it. Yep, because if you think about it, um, someone's speaking to you um, in a second language and you don't really understand. You maybe understand bits of the vocab and you're still acquiring it and then you get degraded hearing. I mean, it really is a lot it's of too effort. Hard to it's do too it. hard. Mm. Um, other things I've seen would be um, withdrawing a lot, playing alone more, um, watching other kids for cues. So the teacher gives an instruction at kindy or at school and the child keeps examining what other children are doing to follow along. Um, so, yeah, so definitely um, can have a lot of impact. What is the way of treating it? Is, is the grommet surgery necessarily uh, the way if it really is problematic? Is there anything else yeah. you can do to treat um, it? Well, that's the thing. So GPs are your first line of defence. So a GP would um, come up with a plan with you. Um, sometimes uh, some children will get antibiotics for it. Some will get the wait and watch approach because we know that anywhere between two and twelve weeks the fluid can drain. So that's quite common. Um, but otherwise, if there's an underlying bacterial infection, then there'll be an antibiotic treatment. But for the children where it persists past twelve weeks and there's recurring issues, often it does turn to a visit to the ENT. So what the ENT then does is they look down the ear canal, look at your eardrum. 
the eardrum is translucent, you can see through it, so when it's healthy, um, you can see through it really well. When it's really inflamed, it gets red and angry looking. But actually, when you shine a light down, you can literally see the fluid behind. So it's like a dark matter sort of sitting behind there, and some eardrums are completely occluded, like you, um, it's the entire thing looks grey and dull, so there's a lot of fluid. So then um, the second bit is they would do a tympanogram, which is where they put a little tube and they apply a bit of air pressure to see how well the eardrum is moving. So you can imagine a lot of fluid impacted behind it. It doesn't move so well. And then they would start to advise if they think grommet surgery is required. What is involved with grommet surgery? Um, So essentially what happens, it's day surgery. Um, It's actually quite a short procedure. So 15 to 20 minutes for some ENTs. They get in there, what they do is they drain the middle ear of the fluid very carefully because obviously the little bones are sitting in there. Um, And then they um, insert what looks like a tiny little plastic cotton reel so they make a little incision into the eardrum and they place it, they sit it. Um, you can imagine the eardrum side on, it just sits. The um, grommet, if you've ever had a child, and when you see the grommet fall out, it's fascinating to look at because it's got, um, it's like a hole right through, but then there's like a an indentation in the middle of it, and that's where the skin, in a sense, it's sitting um, in that little gap. And then the idea there is because the eustachian tube's blocked, it's creating another patent airway to allow air to travel into the middle ear after it's been emptied um, so that the air is circulating and enabling the middle ear to be an ear cavity again. So um, that's something that obviously an ENT can only do. Um, In terms of um, speech and language stuff, I mean really what we see in the speech, in the majority of cases, Gluia can be a contributing factor, but in the majority of cases I work with, many of the children have speech and language issues anyway. The gluia impacts upon it. It can slow down progress in therapy, but in many cases gluia is not the sole reason for speech and language issues. Um, We see issues with high frequency, so high-pitched consonants, Fs, Ss and Ths are often impacted. Um, But also in terms of their understanding of language, When you think about when you're speaking to a child, they are essentially having to locate the sound and then decide what that sound is. They then recognise it and then they attach meaning to it and that's the whole process of learning to comprehend language. So if you're living underwater, effectively, for a protracted period of time, that can impact that process and slow things down. It is, though, you mentioned that may be complicated by other challenges, but... If someone is behind because of this operation, that's mm. how quickly can you catch up, I guess? Uh, yeah, certainly. In many cases, um, a lot of the children that I would work with um, have had, they have ongoing speech and language issues, so we're going to be addressing those anyway. But in the majority of cases where children's speech and language would be otherwise typical and they've got this issue, it's an impacting factor. So in the shorter term, the impact seems quite great. So, um, But once the fluid is drained, often they become immediately very responsive. A lot of the technology gets turned back down again. Um, the child's following instructions a lot better. I mean, for often I advise parents if the child has gluia and they're awaiting an operation, things they can do is obviously get the child's attention before you give your instructions. So get down to their level face-to-face, even touching them can help, orientating them to you. And then just tr- making sure that there isn't so much background noise, if that's possible. Um, but otherwise, speaking clearly, using shorter sentences, and then using gesture to try and communicate. So there's a famous little um, quote uh, saying that goes, say less, stress, go slow and show. Say less, reduce your sentence length. Stress, emphasise the key words. Go slow, so when you've given the instruction, let them have time to process that. And show, so 
show them what you mean. So use your body to move around and show them the instruction that you were indicating. We have a question on another topic. Do you have time to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this emailer says, my daughter turned two in early September and can say two words in a row, but no more. She talks a lot of jargon, which makes no sense to me or her father. I notice the kids at daycare of a similar age are speaking a lot more and can converse. Kids younger than her can say, I went swimming on the weekend. The most she can say is, no mummy, stopped raining, don't touch. She won't answer if we ask her a question. We mentioned to the teacher at school and she reinforced that you can't compare children and they're all different. We can't help but feel concerned. Is this normal? She also uses a dummy still, which we can't seem to ditch. Could this be impairing her speech? So two parts to that. Um, I think the first thing is, when a parent has a concern... um, I've said this before, nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten. Parent concern is enough. It warrants enough for intervention and investigation because um, a parent of a two-year-old is actually an expert in a two-year-old because they have lots of other two-year-olds around as well. So they get a good yardstick of it, and it's enough that I would want to go and look into it. Yes, I think you should look into it because um, by the time you're two, um, typically your vocabulary has reached a point that you single words, for example, you might have one to two hundred single words. You would be combining words, but many of your sentences can be longer as well. Um, the jargoning, so the chucking of the of the weird stuff in, um, that can happen, but that often would happen around 18 months. So um, something to look at, absolutely. And the fact that she's not responding to questions is interesting as well. So I would want to know, is that a hearing issue? It may not be. So it could be an understanding issue, which could be a language comprehension thing. So does she understand that it is a question that's being asked? What kinds of questions does she struggle with? So thinking about question development, what, where and who, those are the first three that children comprehend. Um, So what and where, because what objects, where, people, those are really important to little kids. Um, Sorry, not where, people, where, location, and then who, people that are important to you. Um, So I would want to look at that a little closer. Yeah, don't compare children, that's true, but um, when you have other two-year-olds around you and they're performing... Oh, they're outperforming your child. That's that. That's enough reason to to want to look at it. What was the last part? The dummy. Of that? The, the dummy. Um, dummies are pretty controversial. I mean, there's actually we did a segment on it quite a few years. I think four or five years ago now. That was more because of the impact on the physiological structures rather than whether it's a problem with. Well, there's some argument that dummies, depending on where they've been, carry germs, and that children lying with with dummy, having dummies and yeah. lying down. Um, the germs and the sucking action um, can interact with the eustachian tube, cause it to swell and block, right. you get glue air. But the incidence of glue air in dummies is not a strong relationship, so I'd be pretty careful about that. Mm. Okay. Hey, thank you very much as always. Christian Wright. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 